Hey y'all, Lauren here, TV producer and host of the podcast, Reality Bites, your insider pass to the world of Bravo, pop culture, and beyond. Join me and my co-hosts as we peel back the curtain on your favorite shows and the gossip surrounding them through the lens of the producers who craft them and the fans who adore them. From the creators of Scandaval, get ready for unfiltered commentary, deep dives, and a whole lot of laughs. And if chatting about your favorite shows with friends sounds like your kind of fun, make Reality Bites your next listen wherever you get your podcasts. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus. Cal Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, and you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate, you're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS, and now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. I'm Jeff Probst, the host and showrunner of Survivor. Each week, I'm joined by Jay Wolf, Survivor fan and the producer of this podcast. Hello, Jay. Hello, Jeff. And we're joined always by Survivor former player Rick Devins. What's up, Rick? Hey, Jeff. And each week, what we do is we dissect the big moments of the most recent episode of Survivor and bring you insight from the three different points of view of the fan, the player, and the producer. So let's get into it. Episode 7, Survivor 45. Which player do each of you want to highlight this week and why? I want to highlight Kelly this week. Mm. So many reasons to get into Kelly, but I'll just stay at the big one, which is she had to make a big choice for her game. And she didn't necessarily make the choice that's going to make her time on the island more comfortable, but she <laughs> made, I think, the right game choice. Mm. And, and Kelly just has a lot going on right now. Yeah, Kelly is a player, for sure. How about you, Jay? For me, it's got to be Emily. I, you know, came into this season rough on Emily. She made that transformation. I was high on her. And now to see her reunited with Caleb, her number one ally, and choose to turn her back on him for the future of her game, I thought was really, I mean, a extremely difficult choice. I mean, he's Batman, and you're like, you know what? I'm good, and we'll see if it works out for her, but it was amazing to watch. He's not Batman, Jay. He's the Canadian. Right. What about you, Jeff? What was your favorite moment this week? Uh, my favorite moment of this episode came a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah, here's this scenario. I'm on my back deck, calmly sitting. It's a Saturday morning. I'm drinking a cup of coffee, and I'm watching this episode. And when I saw this moment, I was so inspired that I unconsciously sort of jumped out of my chair. I splashed coffee all over my MacBook because I was racing <laughs> oh, to get no. my phone to call the editor, Fred Hawthorne, to ask where this inspired idea came from. So more on that moment later. And how do you repair a MacBook with coffee all over the keyboard? Because I'm still trying. All right, Jay, let's get into the big moments from episode seven. What stood out? Well, before we get to the moments, I have one word I'd like to ask you about. And that word is Dakuwaka. <laughs> the, the merged tribe name this will be good to get Devin's point of view I'll just give you the basic when when they merge we don't always show it on the show but they get a merge kit to make a, mm. a new flag and it comes with paint and they get to pick their own name in this case 
My research says that Kelly came up with it, and Daka Waka is the name of a shark god in Fijian mythology who protects the mm. island. So clearly Kelly had done a little research before she came out. Devons, I'm curious, what kind of moment is that for a newly merged tribe when you have what is essentially a group tasked to create a new name and then paint the flag? It's really fun. And on the other hand, it's also a complicated social situation when you're still feeling each other out. It's like, that person's pushing really hard for something, you know, and you're always kind of on your toes because it's Survivor. Maybe it's a joke name, but it's also you get the paints, you get the fabrics. A lot of people are stashing things away because they might want to make <laughs> stuff later on. Uh -huh. Jeff, I don't know if you remember on our season, uh, but Victoria made a pair of shorts out yep. of the little pieces of fabric. And when she showed up to the challenge, it blew your mind. Blew my mind. In fact, because of that moment with Victoria, we ended up giving the players in Winners at War a full-on sewing kit, and that led to a fashion show. So players inspire ideas all the time. Thank you, Victoria. <laughs> and everything that comes in that, what is essentially a very little merge flag kit, is a reminder of the complications of this game. The people you are conspiring against are the same people you're building a community alongside. It's true. And we saw earlier in this season, like the nurse Kelly helping Jake and providing right. that service and that build social bonds on our season. When we got that sewing kit, there were a lot of us going to Victoria, going to Julian saying, can you tighten this up for me? And it did. It creates <laughs> bonds as you're sitting there. They're tailoring your clothes and you're talking. All right. The first moment of the episode itself that I want to talk about is right when we get back from tribal, because we find out then that Austin got away with a little bit of murder. Caleb's convinced it was a 12-0 vote. Everyone else is convinced it's a 12-0 vote. Austin knows he didn't vote because he extended the shelf life of his idol to five. Finally, I have a regular idol. It is fully active until the final five. After all this work, it took 13 days for it to get there, and I have it now. My idol has reached its final form. 13 days is a really long time for an idol to reach yeah. a final form. And to that point, as far as I know, I think there's only two idols in the game right now. So, Jeff, in the beginning of the new era, you, we sort of saw like a flood of idols yeah. and advantages. And now we're seeing an idol that takes 13 days to form. It's almost like you've pulled back on that a little bit. Is that true? Well, big picture, let's start with 41 from a production standpoint. We had a long-term approach starting with 41, and that was to do what you just said, Jay, flood the game with a bunch of new ideas and twists and advantages and dangerous fun and see what works and then, like a player should do, adapt and adjust accordingly. But our goal was very clear. We wanted to create uncertainty. Then the thought was, once we had fully established uncertainty, now you can scale back one season, dial it up another, because players can't predict. So it doesn't really matter if we ride the brakes or hit the gas pedal. We still have this climate of uncertainty. And there was a reason for this. Even though the player may not like it, it is in their best interest to just accept the idea that you can't predict, because that forces you to live in the moment which allows you to assess every situation as it changes and what's happening in your environment and then adapt to it. And I've said it before, but knowledge is power, I think, is the perfect example. Mm -hmm. We don't have to ever use it again. But the mere fact that it could be in there is why a player like Devons would think, well, if it is in the game, 
and somebody knows I have the idol and they might want to take it. Maybe I'll give it to my alliance partner. All you need is just that uncertainty because it all leads back to trust. Mm. Can you trust someone enough to, <laughs> in this case, give them your advantage because you fear there might be a knowledge is power in the game? And the reason you fear it is because you're uncertain. So knowledge is power is power is what you're saying here. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Rick, if you're lucky enough to have this idol, why is it then so hard to play it when you know it will get you to the next day? Right. We see players go home with idols and advantages all the time because it's so tempting to hold on to that. I mean, it's good until the final five, you know, once it's fully empowered. And to know that you have that down the line, it's just really tempting to gamble. Mm -hmm. And not only that, it's not just losing your idol if you play the idol wrong. You could blow up your whole game. If you haven't told people in your alliance that you have this advantage, all of a sudden, they have reason not to trust you. They also have reason to believe that you don't trust them. So it could be a very big thing to have to recover from, but people recover all the time in Survivor. We've seen Emily have pitfalls and recover. So my advice is, if you get that gut feeling, play the idol because you just need to get to the next day then you can figure something else out. And I want to echo on that, Devins, because the, the important thing there is if you have a gut or you have information and you have to decide if you think it's true, because I know people hear me say you have to be willing to make big moves. Sometimes the big move is not playing the idol. Mm -hmm. right. All we're saying in this moment is if you have a gut and you ignore it because you're greedy and you get burned, well, that's on you. That's interesting. Rick, did you have an approach going in or did you sort of play it in the moment by your gut? Well, we mentioned uncertainty in the game and I was I was pretty certain they were coming after me. And of course, that could be exactly what they want me to think. And then they put the vote somewhere else and I burned my idol. Mm. But that was something I was comfortable with. I, I was ready to play that idol, make sure I got through the night and then just go out there and try to find a new way to advance. Yeah, find another seven of them. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, would you have an approach if you were out there? Oh, if I was a player? Yeah. Yeah. Having never played oh, and having this. no idea what I'm talking about, let me just theorize what I would do. <laughs> so I think before the game started, I would try to plug my gut into a metaphorical martial stack. It's just a big guitar amp. And then I'd, <laughs> I'd spinal tap it up to 11. And the moment my gut started stirring, it would hit a power cord so hard that it would blast the speaker so loud that I'd hear my gut. And so if my gut said, play the idol, I'd be playing that idol because you have to survive each day in order to get to the next. And if you want to win, you have to play to win. And in conclusion, I have never played. I have never faced this kind of moment. I never will. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I appreciate the question because it gave me a chance to dream. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next moment I want to get into is the challenge itself. And the challenge is as simple as it gets. Hang on to this pole until you can't. <laughs> Jeff, how yeah. did this challenge come about? It's so unique and also iconic to Survivor. Yeah. And what do you think about it makes it a Survivor classic? Well, I think what makes it a classic is what you just said, is if you're walking past your TV and you see 12 people 
hanging on to these giant telephone poles. Mm. Even if there's no volume, you're, for a moment, you're going to stop and say, what are they doing? <laughs> How this came to be, as so many great challenges come to be, is, is starts with John Kurhofer, co-EP, challenge a guru, day one crew member. This is all him. That challenge, by the way, is called Get a Grip. Mm. And when it was invented was when we were in Vanuatu, Kurhofer was watching some local guys climbing coconut trees. And he said he was amazed because they would get to the top, just wrap their arms and legs around the tree and then whack coconuts with a machete, no safety ladder, no safety belt. And so John started thinking, well, how hard is that to do? So he got a ladder and this goes on, this used to go on a lot. And he just grabs some dream teamers and says, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> Let's uh, get on this ladder, climb to the top of this tree and just hang on for as long as you can. And when you're getting tired, just step back on the ladder. So it was very safe and they only lasted a few minutes. But Kurhofer knew there was something there. So he and Dan Monday, who is somebody we don't talk about that much because he's not on the show, but he was, he's a hall of fame survivor, art, idea. He, he Monday could do it all. And he's left to go on to do other things. But together, they came up with this idea of routing in some grooves for your fingers and your toe holes, mm. very, very small. And that was when the challenge was born. There is one little interesting piece of production background, which is how do you make those poles? Because obviously no two trees are ever the same diameter. Mm -hmm. So for that first season, they found 10 trees that were close in size, but then you cut a hole in a piece of plywood and that diameter becomes the gauge. And that's wow. how you know if they're all even. So they plane all of them to get them the exact same width for everybody. And over the years, it's gotten even more sophisticated. But I agree, it's a classic. And I, I've made the argument to our, to our challenge department, why don't we just do it every season? and have this be that challenge, and maybe one day mm. we will. I don't think I like that idea. As someone who doesn't <laughs> do well at endurance challenges, it's also, my first reaction would be, that is high. Yeah. I don't think watching at home, it always does justice to how high some of these challenges are. You know, it, it's interesting you say that because in this season, in 45, if you noticed when we started, there were a few people at different heights and it was because three or four people said that, Devons. They said, man, I'm, I'm really, you know, a little weirded out by heights. And so we said, well, you can start mm -hmm. at any level. The only thing that matters is when your feet hit the sand, you're out. So you're giving up some room for you to drop down and find another toehold. But when we looked at it and reviewed afterwards, we all thought that just doesn't look as good when people are starting at different heights and it's kind of confusing what's going on. So if we do it again, everybody will be at the top of the pole. And if you're afraid of heights, just start sliding down immediately or just opt out of the challenge and just sit on the bench. Yeah, yeah. maybe you can negotiate some rice or something. <laughs> all right, let's talk about the twist that went along with this challenge because there were a few. So first of all, you split them into two random groups. Uh, there will be two players who become immune, one from each group, and therefore two tribal councils. And the group who has the player that stays on the longest gets a reward, the other does not. And the losing group's first vote out doesn't make the jury. So yeah. talk to me about coming up with such a layered twist and how that works. It, well, they always come kind of step by step. In this case, dividing into random smaller groups with both groups going to tribal. That is a massive twist in and of mm -hmm. itself, because first you have, it's just chance who you end up competing with. And that is also who you're going to go to tribal with. So that changes the stakes immediately. 
And it relates back to what has happened in the game so far. Who have you voted out? Because now you're competing against them. And yet you're also competing mm-hmm. with them for the reward and for going to tribal second. And so that it just reminds that every single vote in the game does impact the game in various ways. The other big thing is obviously it's a small group. Massive increase in tension when there's only six people and not mm-hmm. 12. And that's become a staple in this new era. It's it's pretty rare at tribal to have more than you know seven or eight people, just the way we've structured the game. And then last part is you have two players going home. And depending on which team you end up on, this could completely change the direction of the game. So strategy becomes very important because trust is going to be put to a test. If you end up on a group and it's not part of your alliance and you don't go to tribal with them and you have no influence on that, what's going to happen? So almost without fail, when this episode is over, the game will have changed just by the design of the game. Totally. I mean, another big piece that kind of is a little bit unsung or slightly unsung here is the fact that one of these two players who gets voted out tonight isn't going to make the jury. That's new. That's different. Rick, can you explain to us how hard it would be to not make the jury when you're so close to making the jury? This is so brutal. I almost, (laughs) Jeff, I almost texted you as I was watching. I felt like Jordan, who emailed the podcast not long ago, upset about the Flint. He's going, why are you doing this to castaways, Jeff? Think about Caleb, he he makes the jury, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of every episode, here comes Caleb marching into tribal council. He still gets to see himself on TV every week, his family watching. Maybe he'll, you know, have a great reaction that people will use for the rest of all time. He has an influence on the game. He gets to see what right. happens in the game. I mean, every time he goes to tribal council, he gets an update and then he gets to vote on a winner of his season. Not to mention He's the mayor of Ponderosa now. He gets to kind of mend all these relationships that are up in the Mm. air because people voted him out because he bashed them at the last tribal council he was at. And he gets to make some lifelong friendships. But Jeff, Sifu doesn't get any of this. Why? Why are you doing this to our castaways? (laughs) Give them a break. Well, I, I think you just said it. It's the highs and the lows. It's like I always say to the players right before the game. When I'm snuffing your torch, just know I feel for you. I do. I get it's the end of the dream for you, the end of the adventure. But without the torch snuff, there are no stakes for those who survive. So that's why you have it. And today's player, you know, there used to be a time when I think players just wanted to make the merge because of what Devin said. I get to be on TV the rest of it and I get to have a hand. We don't have players that want to make the merge. But there is something about making the merge because, as Devin said, if I'm voted out, at least I have a hand in deciding who wins. And so that helps the disappointment of being voted out is that you haven't lost all your agency in the game. And that twist was Matt Van Wagen's idea. He was really smart. He saw an opportunity to vote with two people being voted out. And he said, what if we put it in this episode? And then the way the math works, the first person won't make the jury. And those stakes, as Devin said, are as big as any reward or anything else in the game is to fall one spot short. Wow, Van Wagen. And now I know who to text <laughs> my angry reaction to. Matt's had a few good ideas lately. Just a really <laughs> clever, tiny little twist that you can now build into the format. 
All right, let's take a break. When we come back, the sanctuary. We didn't talk We're, about these toes. Oh, these oh, D's toes. They came back into play. Nice call. All right, we'll talk about these toes if if Devin's wants to, and we'll talk about the sanctuary <laughs> where good things happen. And later, we're going to discuss the scene that after 23 years of Survivor literally blew my mind. We'll be right back. Hey, Survivor fans, let me tell you about my latest off-the-island obsession, Quince. Shopping used to be a compromise between style and budget, but not anymore. With Quince, I've unlocked the door to affordable luxury. Think Mongolian cashmere crewneck sweaters starting at just $50. Iconic 100% leather jackets and versatile flow knit activewear. All essentials that sync perfectly with my vibe and my wallet. Quince's prices unbeatable. They slash them by 50 to 80% compared to similar brands. How? By partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman, and passing on those savings straight to us. And the best part? Quince only works with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. Now that's a win-win. Cue my recent Quince haul, the Italian leather triple compartment work tote, and everyday lightweight cotton no-show socks. These pieces have revamped my closet, adding sophistication and style without breaking the bank. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com survivor for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash survivor to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash survivor. Hey, y'all. Lauren here, TV producer and host of the podcast Reality Bites, your insider pass to the world of Bravo, pop culture, and beyond. Join me and my co-hosts as we peel back the curtain on your favorite shows and the gossip surrounding them through the lens of the producers who craft them and the fans who adore them. From the creators of Scandaval, get ready for unfiltered commentary, deep dives, and a whole lot of laughs. And if chatting about your favorite shows with friends sounds like your kind of fun, make Reality Bites your next listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Jay, I guess we have to give Devin's his moment with D's toes. Yeah, yeah. Rick, you called it. You spotted that D's toes were longer, and she held on for the longest in the challenge. And Jeff, I think we got to acknowledge that sort of foreshadowing is really amazing. It's so subtle, and yet there it is right on screen. Yeah, I remember when that episode was cut. And uh, when we were talking about it, Matt and I were talking about the fact that how fun that a tiny little moment like that will come into play later in the season. Yeah, great payoff. Yeah. All right. The next moment for me is the aftermath of the challenge. So the winning tribe, winning, I say winning because they still have to go to tribal tonight, <laughs> goes to the sanctuary and the losing group goes to the old Lulu camp. So what's the purpose of how this split plays out. Why send the losing tribe to an entirely different camp instead of just letting them go back to their beach? Well, there's a few reasons. The one is what we just kind of talked about is the same thing that you're trying to increase the disparity of winning versus losing, the high highs and the low lows. So if you sent the losers back to their regular tribe camp, even though it's not much, they would still have some level of comfort. Maybe they have some coconuts stashed or the, the few tools they have, or they have a shelter to keep them from the rain and the heat. And Devin's way in on this, but there is some familiarity when you go back, as weird as that sounds, because that is your home, right? Absolutely. You know where everything is. That's where you, you know, spent so many days. You know where the different stashes are. Maybe you had a plant growing that you left. You're hoping it's ripe now. Of course. And for the others, it's like, welcome to Loser Beach, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the other part of that, Jay, is they don't have their personal items either. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, unless they brought them, which sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, in fairness to players, it's rare when you don't go back to your camp and their personal bags weigh a lot and they're exhausted, so they don't always want to bring them. Devins has alluded to this. But so that's just another thing. There's no flint, there's no machete, and there's no of my, there's none of my advantages or idols or anything that I kept in my bag. So it's a big twist. Right, we saw that play out with Drew. He didn't have his safety without power advantage with him, so he was afraid. And I guess that makes sense. It's sort of like the equivalent of taking their flint in a way. Yeah, it is. It's another punishment for losing. And while we're on the loser beach, can I just point out one small moment with Kelly? Because we've talked so much on season two of this podcast about empathy and how you kind of have to Mm -hmm. set your empathy aside to an extent to play Survivor. I thought it was great seeing her. She lost to D in the showdown at the challenge. Right. And then she voices the guilt she feels because someone in her group is going home and not going to make the jury, as we were just discussing. And she knows the impact of that. And I think it's really great to see someone out there who's playing hard, like playing nonstop, mm-hmm. but still taking a moment, showing empathy, showing her humanity. And then, okay, I need to set that aside and figure out who I'm voting out. Devins, I think that's one of the most insightful things you've said when you first brought up this idea of empathy, because you really took us inside the complication of being a human in this game, is that, of course, you could have empathy, as you just said about Kelly, but I'm glad it's not me. Mm. And no matter how much empathy I have, it can't be me. I'm here to win, and that means somebody has to go. So, love you. Get out. (laughs) All right, let's take it to the other group. They go to the sanctuary. Jeff, before we get into sort of their dynamic, can you tell us a little bit more about the purpose of the sanctuary itself? Yeah, the idea started with the dawn of the new era that we knew we were going to have fewer rewards. Mm -hmm. And then I had an idea for a place called the sanctuary where you would only go for good things because we knew we were going to make the game really dangerous. So we wanted one spot, a respite that you could go to and almost like an illusion. Can it really be this beautiful? And it was Zach Jensen who runs our art department with Simo. He had the idea. He said, why don't we just take the sanctuary and make it the only place we go for rewards, which was a really cool idea because it also allowed us to put more resources into building the sanctuary so we could truly make it special for the players. And you notice when players go there, it does stand out. Bright colors, flowers, beautifully designed. And it's a contrast when you cut back to the Lulu Beach where it's bare and depressing. And just to circle back, Jay, to all of this, Mm -hmm. What's also fun is you still have stakes because that group of players that is dining at the sanctuary is also plotting who's going home tonight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. You know, you think about it almost like it's somebody's last meal. And when you look at it on screen, I don't know if this is intentional, but kind of feels a little bit like the last supper you know <laughs> they're just all across the table spread out like i can that. assure you that is total coincidence that's uh that's just more <laughs> of a blocking that we put them all face out so we could just kind of see them and see them talking down the line to each other but very funny all right what else you got all right the next moment i want to get to i wrote down in my notes is this a heist movie that i'm watching Because all of a sudden we cut to this scene and Jake is talking beat by beat about what the plan for tonight's going to be like. And I felt like I was in the movie Goodfellas. I have the clip. The plan is tonight at Tribal Council, we put three votes on Julie. If Katora, Caleb, and myself vote Julie and Julie, Dee, and Austin vote for Caleb, that will put us in a tie we would then get the opportunity to revote. Caleb, 
If the revote is still in a tie, Julie, then D's safe. The people who got votes are safe. So then Katora, myself, and Austin draw rocks. Austin's really scared in this game. And once we get to a revote, I think I can convince Austin that we don't have to go to rocks, bud. Boy, that's a good scene. <laughs> Man, so the thing I didn't say is that throughout that, you are showing me clips of that night's tribal council. Who does that? When on earth have we ever seen the thing that happens at the end of the episode happen in the middle of the episode? Well, that is the moment that made me spill my coffee, and I'll tell you all about it when we come back on On Fire. Be right back. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high-complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules! Can you shave another day off your sentence? Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount+. This is Amanda Hirsch from the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. You might know me from Not Skinny But Not Fat on Instagram, where I spend my time talking about reality TV, celebrities, everything happening, and pop culture every Tuesday, okay? I also talk to some of our favorite celebs and reality TV stars. We talk about what's going on. Tune in every Tuesday and just feel like you're talking with your best friends in your living room. All right, welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Okay, so we're talking about the moment, not at Tribal, but the moment with Jake where we flash forward to Tribal. And what was crazy is just so everybody really does understand, that was the real Tribal that was going to happen Mm. in several hours. But Jake was envisioning how it might go. And what you saw was how it could play out. And then the question becomes, is that what's going to happen? Or is something else going to happen? So this is Fred Hawthorne, one of our most senior editors. We talked about Fred with the main title. He does the main title Mm -hmm. as well. Jay, I had the same reaction. I started watching and then I realized, wait a minute, this is tonight's tribal. And it was a really (laughs) interesting moment for me because I am watching the episode as a producer because this is the last stop before we send it to the network. So that's first and foremost what's on my mind. But you can't help but also watch as a fan because the episodes are so good. So when this moment hit, my mind exploded. My knees jumped off, thus the coffee splash all over my MacBook. But here's what I wrote in my thoughts because you watch the episode and you sort of share your thoughts about what you think's happening in the episode. And I wrote, wait. WTF, holy smokes, capital letters, mind exploding, mind blown, crime scene, call 911, an older white male just had his mind explode all over his patio, urgent care needed. That's how That's how blown away I was with this truly inventive idea. And I called Fred, it was a Saturday, and he said, well, I've always wanted to do that, but I have an even bigger idea. And one day, when the ride episode lines up, I think it'll work, and I'm going to give it a try. So we have that to look forward to in a future episode, in a future season of Survivor, is the Fred Hawthorne magic trick. Wow. And he did just such a great job of 
putting the viewer inside that perspective of a player, which is what I loved. Like we saw Jake and he has it all planned out and he's putting all the moves. He's moving all the chess pieces. He's got his read on Austin. He's scared. We're going to go to rocks. We're going to get him out of the game. (laughs) But then as we actually fast forward in time and catch up with the cut, you're reminded that he's not playing with chess pieces. Katora Mm. feels taken for granted And she's playing her own game. She's moving her own pieces around. So everything blows up. The best laid plans uh, sometimes fall apart because you didn't follow through socially. Or maybe you did too much. Maybe if Caleb hadn't told her about the advantage, Austin wouldn't have either and everything would have gone fine. But Caleb thinks he's doing the right thing. It just shows how on Survivor, you know, all the right moves could backfire. All the bad moves could turn out great. Hmm. But for this one, Jake's plan, his heist, (laughs) didn't really turn out because one of the people he recruited had plans of her own. So after all that, it's tough to lose both Sifu and Caleb. I mean, they were both great, great players. I was excited to watch them move forward. But it just goes to show having two players voted out on the same night is a massive change to the game. Well, suddenly you're almost down to single digits again in the game. We're at 10, you know, so that goes back to that small tribe idea. And who's to say we won't split them again at 10 and you're now five and five. Mm. It's a very fast moving game. Absolutely. And now two of the people that were kind of on the outside of these alliances aren't options anymore. They're Mm. out. You're looking at each other now. Mm. 26 day game moves really quickly and it feels like we're already in the end game all right let's get to some fan questions as a reminder if you have a question for jeff you can email us at survivor shoutout at cbs.com and i will read those questions perhaps even read them here the first question comes from chad he writes jeff i love survivor and i love listening to the podcast every week it's given me an even greater appreciation for the show and all that goes into it So my question, at the beginning of most episodes, we get the scene where the tribe arrives to camp and starts debriefing what happened to Tribal. How far away is camp from Tribal, and are they not allowed to talk on their way back to camp? It seems like camp is their first opportunity to process what happened. Yeah. So can you explain what happens from a rules perspective when they get back to camp? Yeah, that's good. So the distance from camp to Tribal varies, but it can be quite a boat ride. And there are very few rules on Survivor, but one of them is you're not allowed to talk when we don't have cameras on you. And those moments when we're not shooting you are very rare. They are usually only when you're being transported to a challenge or tribal. So the reason you can't talk during those moments is because if we can't record it and something changes in the game, then we don't have it and we're not able to put it into the show and our audience will be confused. That's the only reason. So that's what we ask the players is, when you're on the boat ride, don't talk. The minute you're back off the boat and you're walking to your camp, you can start talking again. So that's why they immediately start the debrief when they get back to camp. And I'll just add on, Jeff, when we're not being filmed on the boat, it's not on the honor system that we can't talk to each other. (laughs) There's still a producer right there with us looking at us, making sure that we're not communicating. And, you know, Devons, it's it's one of the hardest parts of the show for the producer because you don't want to feel like you're a warden at a prison saying stop talking. Mm. But it's so it's so easy for a player to want to whisper and say, hey, remind me to tell you about my idol. But it's so important that we have that whisper on camera. So I would say that is probably the only time when there's ever any friction is when the players look at the producer like, oh, my God, are you going to tell me to be quiet again? Yes, we are. (laughs) Sorry. But thanks for understanding. (laughs) And I don't know if it's Stockholm Syndrome, but the people that tell us to shut up, those are the ones we end up loving the most Uh, at the end of the season. That's beautiful. I think it's because there's a real relationship there. You spend a lot of time together. 
And question two comes from Dan. I realize I'm a hardcore fan and not everyone would want to see the first immunity idol in the Smithsonian, but there's certainly cultural relevance to the show that needs to be preserved. Would you ever consider putting these props in a pop-up museum or a temporary survivor exhibit? Please tell me that these props are stored safely somewhere. Well, Dan, first off, most of our props have actually been auctioned off over the years. At the end of every finale, we have a thing where if you want to bid on items from the show, you mm -hmm. can do so and you can own a piece of Survivor memorabilia. We're very proud that we have raised nearly $2 million for various charities over the years. But weirdly, we actually have had two times that we were supposed to do a presentation at the Smithsonian for this exact thing. And I know the first one, was during COVID and it got canceled. And I can't remember, something else came up the second time, but I pledged to give them the first snuffer, which is what I have, which is, I keep it just because it's so crude. It's a stick and a half a coconut. <laughs> but I'm with you. I would love to see a little exhibit at the Smithsonian. If for no other reason, than years from now, my kids will realize I actually did do something while I was alive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number three comes from Marty. He writes, I've been watching Survivor since the very first episode of season one. So now I, of course, have been listening to the podcast every week and appreciate hearing answers to many questions fans have been asking ourselves for years, particularly about whether or not things that happen on the show are ever pre-planned. And while I'd like to believe that Jeff's claim that nothing on the show is staged, uh -oh. how can I when in the opening minutes of episode one of every season, Jeff acts like he's never <laughs> met the contestants before and makes comments like, hey, you in the red shirt, what's your name? Jeff has obviously met the contestants before and knows each of their names and a lot more. So what gives? Why the app? <laughs> That's good. Yeah, you're right. I do know their names. I know a lot about them as people as well. But here's the thing, Marty. What I know isn't important. It's what they want the other players to know about them that matters. And that's why, just as a formality, I never assume anything. And I take it down to the details of, what's your name? And we've had people in the past who did come up with a different name. They decided, I don't mm. want to go by this name. I'm going to go by my nickname, whatever it is. So I just like to keep it clean, let the players introduce themselves on their own terms. Devin's how do you answer the question when people ask you if any of this is staged, as Marty said? Oh, yeah, I get that all the time. It blows my mind. I just say, yeah, you know, it's been on for 45 seasons, hundreds of <laughs> contestants. You know how good people are at keeping secrets. You know, we all just <laughs> right. we all just agreed not to talk about the bathrooms or how you guys hand out the advantages. Yeah. <laughs> it's one big conspiracy alright that's it for episode 7 where is the game what do you two think is coming next oh well I think I gotta start and end with Emily you know I was really sad to see Caleb go like I said I thought he was a great player and I was looking Agreed. forward to seeing him take it hey can we just give one more thank you to all the casting coaches for getting Caleb ready for the show I mean really yes. remarkable job Shout out to them um, for the most part. <laughs> but I, I'm looking forward in the next episode to see how Emily takes her game now that she is truly a free agent. And Ooh. there is that alliance with Drew and Austin that kind of exists. And it'll be interesting to see if she can cement that or not. Devins, how about you? My obsession remains Bruce. I Bruce. mean, Bruce and Kelly, <laughs> Bruce and Katora, Bruce and Emily. I got I to gotta see what happens next with Bruce. And mine is, read all about it, read all about it. The auction is back. Get it right here. The auction is back. Oh, man. Man. All right. Well, that is it for this week's episode of On Fire. 
And please make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I didn't realize how important these ratings and reviews are to this podcast. Yeah, they help a lot. And there's a brand new episode of Survivor every Wednesday at 8, 7 central on CBS and Paramount Plus. And immediately following the episode of Survivor, there's a new episode of this podcast on fire. See you then. You can watch Survivor and more on Paramount+. Plus. Subscribe at ParamountPlus.com and use the code SURVIVOR45 by December 20th, 2023 and get your first month of Paramount Plus on us. Must be age of majority to subscribe. U.S. only. Payment method required. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, y'all. Lauren here, TV producer and host of the podcast Reality Bites your insider pass to the world of Bravo, pop culture, and beyond. Join me and my co-hosts as we peel back the curtain on your favorite shows and the gossip surrounding them through the lens of the producers who craft them and the fans who adore them. From the creators of Scandaval, get ready for unfiltered commentary, deep dives, and a whole lot of laughs. And if chatting about your favorite shows with friends sounds like your kind of fun, make Reality Bites your next listen wherever you get your podcasts. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus. Campfire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, then you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate, you're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9 8 Central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount Plus.